Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Everything Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. And hope everybody enjoyed the first episode of Destination Chill. It will be live on YouTube Sunday nights at least until the start of the regular season, 8 p.m. Eastern time. So if you didn't get to check out the episode last night, I'll check out next week's show. Uh, but tonight's show is going to be about running backs. Uh, a lot going on with running backs. And just wanted to deep dive into some of the data uh, and talk about specifically the Jonathan Taylor situation, but more so how you can approach this JT problem from a completely agnostic sense. Because I think what happens is when people hear the name Jonathan Taylor, they immediately think generational prospect, size, speed, freak, RB1 in Dynasty. But the reality is he's going into year four. There's a contract dispute with the team. There's some things we can talk about going forward, what this is going to mean with his value versus the dynasty landscape. But then the reality is, are you going to be able to count on Jonathan Taylor in the fantasy playoffs this year? Just forecasting, even if he comes back and plays, which I think he will, and I'll talk about that more in the show, are you going to be able to count on him? And what does that mean if he doesn't play? What does that mean for his future prospects? How should I go about trying to trade him if I want to? Should I be trying to buy him? And what am I buying if I buy Jonathan Taylor? So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to also talk about this narrative about running backs not getting paid. Uh, and maybe we can debunk that just a little bit. There's some data that I'm going to go over uh, to talk about how that's not the case. You hear it loud and proud on social media from a lot of people that defend the players, dislike the NFL owners, and I'm not somebody that's going to bat for the owners. But there's a reality about this situation with running backs and why it's happening, and then what people are trying to say when they're mentioning somebody like Jonathan Taylor and whether he should get paid or Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs or whoever it might be. So we'll talk a little bit through that. We'll look at some data historically about running backs, about contract spending, about guaranteed money, on uh, what direction it might be headed, because you can sit here and say, okay, great. I have Jonathan Taylor. I'm probably already screwed if I'm holding him in my league and expecting X value and the return is only 70% of that. But who's the next guy? So we'll talk a little bit about that and how to navigate the running back landscape going forward. And depending on time, I may do a little bit of a team rehab of my own portfolio uh, at the end of the show. Just talk about some steps that I'm taking now before the season uh, to kind of get those things back in line based on warp, based on roster construction. So I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Before we get started, subscribe to the newsletter, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Enter your email. You get something from the Destination Devi crew every single Friday via email. And then shout out to Trades in 5. We'll be doing a live stream at the Fantasy Football Expo. That will be Sunday, August the 13th, 10 a.m., live at the expo. So if you watch Trades in 5, if you are a fan, uh, if you're a fan of my content, uh, that'll be a cool experience. I've never done a live stream live show before. Um, I've done some stuff live before, like at the panels. I'll also be on the Dynasty panel uh, next Sunday at noon with many other great Dynasty analysts. So if you're interested in that, check that out. But live stream next Sunday, 10 a.m., Dynasty Trades in 5, live at the expo. That should be a cool experience for me. So I'm really, really pumped up for that. And with that, before we start the show, let's hear from Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match 
up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Devi Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get an 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Devi Discord. Back to the show. So we begin the show by talking about where this stems from. So obviously the news of Jonathan Taylor seeking an extension initially with the Colts, them coming out and saying not only are we not going to extend him, but even if he holds out, He's demanded a trade. We are also not going to trade him. And I outlined this on a Trades in 5 video where I talked about the Jonathan Taylor situation that came out uh, on Tuesday. And I'll link to that in this episode so that you can view that. But that kind of sums up the situation, why it is what it is, and going into the comp pick formula about how even if the Colts were to let Jonathan Taylor walk, they're going to end up getting credited in the comp pick formula for probably somewhere in the range of a fourth round pick. Depends on what he would get in free agency. Uh, but this year, the three highest free agent signings at running back, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Jamal Williams, those guys were credited as a fourth slash fifth round pick towards the comp pick formula. So the Colts know they're going to get at least a fourth round pick, assuming his contract is what those guys signed, likely higher. Uh, they're going to get that back. But then you look at, well, why is he demanding a trade to begin with? And it's because he wants an extension. And he wants an extension that we've seen some of the running backs that were on that Zoom call a couple weeks ago. Everyone heard about the Zoom call where all the running backs came together, discussed the position, how they can get paid more, what their options are, etc. The reason he's wanting a contract like that is because that's what's happened in the past. And so the team knows anybody that were to trade for him not only probably has to give them at least a third round pick, if not higher. And again, this is a multi-billion dollar business that is dug in. They are not going to let a player push them around and tell them what they need to do. So really, if you're going to trade with the Colts, you have to A, pay enough to buy them out of potentially the message they are sending to players and other players, whatever you want to call that. So the floor is a fourth round pick. They know they're going to get that back by letting Jonathan Taylor walk. So obviously the price has to be higher than that. So what is it? A third round pick, two third round picks, a second round pick, whatever it is, it's got to be in that range. That's the first condition. If I'm the Colts, I don't even listen to an offer that starts with anything less than a third round pick. That's the starting point. B, whatever team trades for Jonathan Taylor, assuming they're willing to meet that price, now has to probably agree with an extension somewhere close to what he wants, because that's why he was upset with the Colts to begin with. And there's been some rumblings out there talking about his agent and how much he thinks he can get him. So most likely you're going to inherit the same problem the Colts are facing right now. Now, obviously he's pissed off at the Colts, but wherever he goes, he's probably going to have similar demands and a similar approach. So again, a team is buying themselves into a similar issue that the Colts have. So that's the two issues that a team trading for him have to contend with. Now, if he thinks he's good enough and they're going to warrant giving him an extension and they think he's worthy, then I could see it. But that's probably the reason why they're not going to trade him. It's because the offer that they're going to get is likely going to be nowhere enough to buy out the potential leverage that they're holding. Now, does that mean that's good for the Colts this year? Does it mean Jonathan Taylor is going to go out there and be one of the best running backs in the league? Is he even going to care to play for the Colts? Is he just going to say, I'm doing the minimum? We've talked about that a ton in Heisman over at Destination Debbie and in Dynasty and Chill. Like, why is he have an incentive to go out there and play a ton of games for the Colts? On top of that, be ready for when you need him most, which is the fantasy playoffs. All he has to do is be on the active roster for six games and he accrues a season which gets him that much closer to free agency. So keep that in mind. That's what's going on with the Jonathan Taylor situation. Now here's what's curious. The reason he's demanding so much money is because look back at the spending over the last couple years. And I'm going to go through that and kind of talk about where he's probably getting his demands. And I have to give TJ Hushmanzada credit for this, but it was mentioned Austin Eckler was the guy leading that Zoom call a couple weeks ago, right? But Austin Eckler, if you remember, back in 2019, Austin Eckler essentially ended up replacing Melvin Gordon, a first-round pick, Austin Eckler, a UDFA that was under team control for only three years because he was a UDFA, ends up replacing Melvin Gordon, a former first-round running back, who tried to hold out before his fifth-year option, 
and get paid more by the Chargers. It was unsuccessful. He came back. He ended up leaving. So Austin Eckler, UDFA, replaced Melvin Gordon, first-round pick. Melvin Gordon went to the Broncos, ended up being an average performer for the two years that he signed with the Broncos, ended up going back to the Broncos for a third year, didn't make it through that third year. And those three seasons that Melvin Gordon was with the Broncos, Austin Eckler was a top five running back in the NFL. So right there, the guy leading the charge for running backs is literally the face of why you shouldn't pay a running back or why you shouldn't extend a running back. And TJ Hushmanzada made that point. It's not a slight on Austin Eckler, like more power to him. He's definitely a guy where I could say, you know what? He thinks he can still play a couple more years, and largely the role that he carries is probably worth maybe a little bit more money than what he's making. But literally, he is leading the charge, but he's also the poster child for one of the reasons why you would not pay a running back like Melvin Gordon on a second contract because he can be replaced by a UDFA like Austin Eckler. So I thought that was very interesting to phrase it that way. And Hushmanzada just came right out and said, you know what, it sucks for running backs. But it's very ironic that the guy leading the charge is the poster child for why you shouldn't extend a running back. So let's just go through the cap spending, because I think this is very interesting. It's a narrative you hear out there saying running backs are not getting paid. But it's not true. It's not true. And I'll talk about what is true once I'm done giving this data. But let's go back to 2020. So 2020 was right after a point where we saw a bunch of guys get extended. So I'm just going to go to this first because it's easier to do it in this timeline so everyone can kind of paint the picture. So in 2020, we saw a record high in terms of guaranteed money that was given to running backs in terms of extensions. So not free agency, but in terms of an extension. So that year, we saw nine running backs that were given extensions with their team. So not that they hit free agency, but team said, we have guys good enough in-house that we need to give them big extensions. And they're all the names that you would think, excluding Jalen Richard, who's on this list. The other eight names are all players that you had high in fantasy in terms of dynasty value at running back. You had extensions for Austin Eckler, undrafted free agent, Alvin Kamara, third round pick, Christian McCaffrey was a first round pick, Dalvin Cook, second round pick, Derrick Henry, second round pick, Joe Mixon, second round pick, Tariq Cohen, fourth round pick, Kareem Hunt, third round pick. So you notice some names in there, right? Kamara, Cook, Henry, Mixon, Kareem Hunt, all guys that were not first round picks, all guys hitting free agency. Now, Henry is a little bit different because this was his second extension, but Henry aside, the other four, Mixon, Hunt, Kamara, Cook, all part of that 2017 running back class, all guys coming up on their fourth year, and all guys saying, basically, I want extended. If you remember that season, there were rumblings about Kamara, Cook, and Mixon, all being guys that were kind of holding in, right? Like, they were all seeking those extensions. Now, obviously, the Hunt extension, extenuating circumstances because he had changed teams after being with Kansas City, but the other three... Kamara, Cook, Mixon, all extended before their fourth year. And again, between those nine, so I'm including Jalen Richard and also Tariq Cohen in here. Tariq Cohen was another guy that was a mid-round pick, probably shouldn't have been extended, but he was part of that 2017 class, and he got a three-year extension with the Bears. Uh, pretty good money, too. Three years, $17.25 million, $12 million total guaranteed. But that year, 2020 is what changed it. There was $171 million plus given out to running backs in contract extensions. And the only guy among that group that would have been under control for one more year was Christian McCaffrey because he was a first-round pick. So they would have had one extra year with McCaffrey. They didn't have to extend him. Uh, but like a lot of players that are first-round picks, year four, just like the quarterbacks, they extended McCaffrey. So right there, you had $172 million guaranteed money given to running backs. Now what happened? Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Dalvin Cook was pretty good, but you saw what happened with these contracts. Dalvin Cook didn't get through the finality of his contract with the Vikings. So boom, didn't get through it all. Alvin Kamara, off the field issues, wasn't very good last year. Alvin Kamara declined. Joe Mixon definitely declined. The only guy that's really lived up to the extension was Austin Eckler. Kareem Hunt declined, didn't make it through his next contract. So you have all of these guys, Tariq Cohen, tore an ACL, then tore an Achilles, out of the league. Jalen Richard, out of the league. Derrick Henry got injured, 
missed the second half of a season where Tennessee had their best team. So you can literally look at every one of these extensions and say, the player didn't make it through their second contract. Now, is that fair? Does it suck that almost all of these guys were absolutely dominant when they weren't getting paid a lot of money? McCaffrey aside, all of these guys were making less than $3 million a year prior to them getting these extensions. Is that fair? No. But that's the reality. These teams extended all of these running backs. Literally, if a team looks at this list and goes, this was the year where everything changed because most of these guys either A, got worse or B, didn't even make it through that second contract without the team going, you know what? You need to restructure or you're not good enough or we're going to cut you. Hence what happened with Dalvin Cook. Hence what the Bengals would have done with Joe Mixon if he wouldn't have taken a 40% pay cut. So that was the year. Let's go to 2021. So remember, 2020, 172 million, let's call it, given out in extensions to running backs. 2021, let's take a look at this. 2021 contract extensions. That number, there were still nine of them, still nine players. Now, some of these guys were on their third contracts, but still only 55.147 million given out in guaranteed money. The only guys on this list that were prominent, Aaron Jones. What happened to Aaron Jones? Already forced to restructure and take a pay cut two years into that extension, right? So just like Mixon, he got his contract extension the next year, already has restructured to take less money. And then Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb got extended, was given $20 million guaranteed. And to be fair, this is the third year of Nick Chubb's extension. He's still going strong. All the other guys, Gus Edwards, injured. Naheem Hines, injured. David Johnson, out of the league. Jeff Wilson, been injured numerous times, has already got extended again. Daryl Williams, unsigned. Ty Montgomery, injured numerous times. Alex Collins, out of the league. All of those guys were given an extension that year, got a little guaranteed money, and you can see where it ends up. So again, the strength of the class obviously was not as high, but only $55 million in guaranteed money given to running backs. Let's go to 2022. So 2022, so just last offseason, two running backs, were given contract extensions with their teams, Rex Burkhead, James Conner. James Conner got a three-year deal with the Cardinals, $13.5 million guaranteed. He's going into the second season of that extension. What do you think is going to happen with James Conner on his third contract? You think it ends up lasting? Probably not. So again, last year, only $15.6 million in guaranteed money given to running backs on contract extensions. And then this year, other than Saquon Barkley, who got a quote-unquote extension, which was essentially in place of the franchise tag that he was going to sign, he got a $10 million guaranteed extension, one-year extension with the Giants, $10.091 million in guaranteed money. The total, only four other players got guaranteed contract extensions, Jamichael Hasty, Amir Abdullah, Salvin Ahmed, and Jonathan Williams. And all of those guys are Yep, I didn't even know they were on a roster, unless you literally follow the any running back on a 53 stuff. So right there, this year, only $11.34 million in guaranteed money given out in extensions. Now, what you're going to say is the strength of the free agency class dictates how much money in guaranteed money is given out. I agree. The 2020 class, because of how good the 2017 class was in terms of guys going in round two, round three, round four, even UDFAs, there's a reason why there was the most guaranteed money given out in that class in extensions, because that's where the best players were from. But you've also seen that class. If people look at those numbers and go, you know what, it doesn't make sense to extend these running backs. Because if you see what happened over those last four years, the majority of these extensions to running backs have A, not mattered. B, they haven't worked out. So that is where teams are coming from. I get it. Since the COVID year, the cap has gone up and up and up. But I presume this is the reason why teams are not extending the running backs that they already have in-house. So then let's look at how the running back spending has taken place over the last four years in actual free agency. Because if teams are going to not extend guys, then in theory, they should hit the open market. So let's look at open market spending over the last four years. So we're going to go back to that same point, 2020. We're going to look at unrestricted free agency. So players that are unrestricted free agents and how much money are they getting paid? And this is where I think the narrative goes wrong when you look at social media or when you hear people talk about this issue. It's not that running backs are getting paid. In fact, when I go through this data, you'll be shocked to know that 2023, this year's free agency, 
had more money given to running backs than we've seen in almost a decade. And it's trending to where the spending at running back in free agency is going up. But the pushback is teams are not willing to extend guys, and they're definitely not willing to extend guys at the rate that they were willing to extend them back in 2020. Because that is the year they're probably looking at going, that was bad, that didn't work out, that player declined, that was bad. And it's just simply they're not paying these guys for what they've done. And if they're saying, are we going to pay them for what they can do? It is not worth the four-year, $48 million extension that Nick Chubb got or Joe Mixon got or Dalvin Cook got. Like, that's not going to happen anymore. You combine that with the fact that the franchise tag is only 10 to $11 million, it makes no sense to make a four-year commitment where you're guaranteeing over half the money when you can literally just pay them for one more year and essentially seed your decision back another year and say, you know what, we'll reassess it next offseason if we want to consider an extension. So let's look at free agency spending in 2020. So in 2020, I'll take the top 10 running backs that were signed in free agency that year we're given a total of $27.47 million in guaranteed money. That was 2.58% of the guaranteed money that was given out in free agency. So not a lot. Only 2.58% of the guaranteed money spent in 2020's free agency class was given to running backs. But the next year, 2021, that went up to $36.8 million. That was 2.74% of the total money given out in free agency. So this isn't the AAV. This isn't the fake numbers. This is literally the total guaranteed money given out in those deals. So the next year was only about 0.16 percentage points higher, but it still went up. 2022, 36.535 million in guaranteed money. So a little bit lower than the year before, but the percentage still 2.605%. So right around that 2.5, 2.7 mark in terms of guaranteed money from 2020 to 2022. But this year, all the way up to $54.84 million in guaranteed money to the free agent running backs. 3.1% of the guaranteed money given out in free agency went to running backs. So way up. That number went way up this year compared to the three years prior. So what is that saying? That is essentially saying that the teams will let good free agent running backs hit the market. What are we headed towards in 2024? After a bunch of these guys end up getting to free agency, if the teams do not give them extensions, which from what we've seen with Jonathan Taylor thus far, probably unlikely to happen, probably unlikely to happen for the likes of Cam Akers or DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins, and then some of the guys that are actually coming up for free agency that have already been paid that may be on their third contract, Derrick Henry, probably not going to get an extension. We already know about Tony Pollard and Josh Jacobs uh, with their franchise tags. Austin Eckler, they've already talked about. They're not going to give Austin Eckler an extension into next year. And then there's some other lesser ones that have already hit free agency once, like Gus Edwards, Devin Singletary, Deontay Foreman, Damian Harris, etc. But we have some big-name fantasy running backs, notably Henry, Eckler, Barkley, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, A.J. Dillon is another one, Antonio Gibson is another one, Cam Akers, and then obviously the Tad guys with Jacobs and Pollard. So this is setting up to be a strong free agency class. So it sounds like the NFL is just looking back at 2020. They're saying, we're not going to make that mistake again. We're not going to extend our in-house running backs, and we'll just see what happens next year. I will bet you that if all of those guys hit free agency, we are going to see the guaranteed money for the running backs go up again next year. Maybe it's 3.5%. Maybe it's 4%. I don't know if we ever get anywhere close to that 2020 number where the restricted extensions were $172 million guaranteed. We will never see that again. But it feels like the NFL is willing to pay running backs around the mark or maybe a little higher than what they paid Miles Sanders, four-year, $24 million. What they paid David Montgomery, three years, $18 million. Like those are $6 million AAV with more than half the money guaranteed. So are they going to be willing to give a guy like Eckler 8 to 10 million, like Jonathan Taylor 8 to 10 million, Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley? Like I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. But the reality is gone are the days where teams are going to give them a 4-year $15 million AAV extension with 40 million guaranteed like you saw in 2021. That's never happening again. I don't care if it's Jonathan Taylor, I don't care if it's Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, you name it. The owners have spoke that they're not going to go to that level. Hence, 
the mistakes made in 2020, the guys that got those in the form of extensions, most of them didn't work out. So that's where this is coming from. I don't think this is going to be something that goes away. You are going to have running backs, speaking to the dynasty aspect now, that are coming up on this fourth year. And you have to keep in mind, guys like J.K. Dobbins, so if you look at J.K. Dobbins' contract, he's a very good example of a player where he hasn't been that great, he's been injured a lot, but you look at his rookie contract, he was the 55th overall pick. So he was a second round pick, back half of the second round, but we would still sit there and go, man, like that's pretty good draft capital for a running back. We love when running backs get second round draft capital. But then you look at the contract and keep in mind, these contracts are slotted. So there is no negotiation. There's a slot. There's a very small window of what you can pay a player that gets drafted in that range. J.K. Dobbins, when he signed his rookie contract, he signed a four-year, $5.7 million contract with only $2.6 million in total guaranteed money. So he's going to see all of that. But you can see why a guy that's only getting paid that is sitting here going, man, can I lock up this extension? Now, on the contrary, you have a guy like B. John Robinson or you have a guy like Jameer Gibbs. They're a little bit of a different situation. They're going to get paid a first-round contract you know, especially a guy like Bijan, like his contract, first off, it's fully guaranteed. So a first round contract, fully guaranteed. The second, he's still going to make around 5.5 million over the life of his contract. And that's just for the first four years. Then for the fifth year, the fifth year option is going to be somewhere around like 80, 85% of what the franchise tag is. So you can tack on like another 9 million or so for his fifth year option. So yes, he's signed through five years, but he's still going to make probably an average of around $6 million for his first five years. So if you compare that to a guy that was drafted in the second round, or especially the third or the fourth round, like many other dynasty-relevant running backs right now, it's not as big of a deal. Now, obviously, he has to wait an extra year to hit free agency, but still, like you're looking at that going, there's not probably the dire need to hold out and make sure you get extended. Now, maybe Gibbs and Bijan are so good that by the time they get to year four, they buck the trend. And they are like the next McCaffrey, where it's like, you know what, we're going to extend this guy. It's not going to be $15 million a year, but we're going to extend him. He's good enough. He's worthy enough. We're not going to bother with it. But that's an interesting thing. The biggest difference is the fully guaranteed money if you're a first-round pick. But everybody else, and you start looking down the line, Brees Hall. Brees Hall, if he comes back strong this year, Brees Hall, after next season. So comes back from the ACL, is good for the second half of the year, going into year three. That is going to be the sweet spot for Brees Hall. And how many times have I talked about on this show, the prime window for a running back in terms of their value and their production is year two and year three. After that, it's all production. But next year, if Brees Hall comes in healthy, he's going to be RB2, RB3 in Dynasty. That will be the year where it's like, I expect peak Brees Hall, not only on the field in year three, but also peak Brees Hall in terms of his value. As soon as he gets to year four, if he's as good as we think, He's going to be exactly in the situation of where Jonathan Taylor is. Then you get other guys. Ramondre Stevenson. He's in year three right now. He goes out, smashes this year. By the time he gets to offseason next year, he's right in the same situation as J.K. Dobbins. But he's making even less money because he was a fourth-round pick. Same thing goes for Kenneth Walker in two years. He's the same spot as Brees Hall. Two years, he was a second-round pick. He's going to be in the same boat as J.K. Dobbins. Najee Harris. This will be year three. So Najee Harris is essentially on the same track as like Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Next year is going to be his peak. After that, potential issues arise. And you can just go down the line of where these players sit from a contract standpoint and what you expect. Now, does that mean this is going to continue? We'll see. But my takeaway is, and Ray's been saying this for a while, that the Jonathan Taylor situation, not the situation we're talking about now, but just the Jonathan Taylor contract and how it's handled is going to be crucial for how everything's going to be handled going forward. But you kind of have like this meeting of two forces with the 2020 extensions, owners realizing that was a big mistake. We're not going to extend running backs for the next three years. They didn't extend hardly any running backs. Now we get to a point where we finally have a new crop of guys that came in in 2020, 2021. They're primed to get extensions. You know, part of the issue was the running backs that were available, right? But now we have a good class of 2020 and 2021 running backs that are coming up for extensions or coming up to that point where they're a year away from free agency. And they want the extensions that the guys three years prior to them got. 
And they're not going to get them based on the behaviors of the owners since that catastrophic year of the extensions in 2020. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, You hear this narrative out there. Oh, man, they're not paying running backs. They are. They're paying running backs. Owners have shown over the last four years, especially this year, they're willing to pay running backs on the open market. They're willing to give guys the Miles Sanders contract, the David Montgomery contract. And I'm guessing if the names are better than David Montgomery and Miles Sanders, they may get a little bit more money. But that's probably going to look something like three-year, $30 million, four-year, $36 million, four-year, $30 million, you know, whatever it might be. But it's going to be in that seven to nine AAV range and probably not a ton of guaranteed money. Probably not guaranteed money that's anything close to what some of the extendees back in 2020 got. So that's never going to come back. So it's realistic to sit here and try to figure out, okay, which guys potentially would take a deal like that. And I talked about it the other day about A.J. Dillon being one of those guys where you go, you know what, A.J. Dillon really kind of fits that prototype because he's going to be a free agent after this year. A.J. Dillon fits that perfect prototype of a guy that's probably willing to take a David Montgomery slash Jamal Williams type of deal, right? Like a four-year, $20 million deal with $15 million or $12 million guaranteed or something like that. And that he is what he is. And there's no risk. There's no risk that he's going to hold out. There's no risk that he's going to make waves. There's no risk that he's going to be one of the guys that's going to be a problem. It's almost like you can buy him pretty safely. You know, I'm about to write him up in an article talking about how he's a good buy for that reason. And you're sitting here going, you know what? There's not a lot of upside with A.J. Dillon. But the idea is kind of securing the one form of longevity in Dynasty at running back when trying to maybe nail who those guys are. Now, we'll see what 2024's free agency brings. Um, I admit that it could be an absolute game changer for the position. I think part of the reason why the players are starting to come together and talk about this as a collective is because they know. It was reported by Albert Breer that the NFL owners and NFL GMs know next year is going to be a stacked running back class. All the names I already mentioned are going to be in free agency unless there's some extensions or other franchise tags that get applied. But that list of like 12 names, probably eight of those guys are going to hit the open market. And the owners know that. There's no reason to sign your guy to an extension. So it's just a game of chicken. Hey, 12 of us owners all have guys we could give extensions. But we also know the other 11 aren't going to extend their guys, which means there's more options for us. So why would we be the first to commit the money? So that's probably what's going on. And it will be very interesting to see how running back spending increases next year, what the total percentage of guarantees are. And the reason I use percentages is because the total percentages, yes, it's based on the quality of the players out there. But I think the percentages are a fair representation of just how the teams are allocating the money as a whole. It's not dollars, it's percentages of what is given out in free agency. And I expect the guaranteed numbers to continue to go up. They went up from $1 billion to $1.7 billion in overall spending in guaranteed money in free agency just from 2020 to 2023. And that's far more than how much the cap went up. So I expect that number to continue to go up. We might even hit $2 billion, but what is the percentage of that $2 billion? that is actually given to running backs in the form of guarantees. So that will be interesting to see what that number looks like. But the reality is it's a changing market and it feels like the players, this is their response to try to get out ahead of it. How do we play that for Dynasty? It's really tough. It leads into what I've been talking about for a while now, that I'm only viewing the majority of running backs in this landscape as one-year bets. You know, I don't want to deal with these potential random contract issues that come up. Because you know what? Once it happens, and we've seen this going back to 2020, going forward, once a running back gets into his second contract, whether they get an extension or not, the extension makes you feel a little bit better. But it's fair to say that all of these guys are going to get multi-year contracts. The good running backs, the guys that you value in Dynasty, they're going to get extensions. They're going to get multi-year contracts somewhere. So I don't think it matters whether it's an extension or whether it's in free agency. But the idea that that player should be given a window of more value from year to year, especially when the contracts are structured with only 50% of the money or less guaranteed and a three-year extension, a four-year extension, there's no longevity. There's no guarantee. Maybe you can take a guy that gets an extension and say, that guy's going to give me two years on the team. But there's no guarantee that they don't face significant competition the next year. If a team knows that, hey, we gave David Montgomery that three-year deal, or we gave Miles Sanders that four-year deal, but we really don't expect them to be there in year three. 
And then in year two, we draft their replacement just in case they're not there in year three. So the volatility is literally year to year. Running backs should be treated like year to year. The only exceptions are Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Those guys are on rookie contracts. They're first round picks, which means you get that extra year. And that's the peak of their value. So if I draft Bijan or I draft Kamir Gibbs, the good thing is I said year three is probably the peak of their value in terms of dynasty. I have like a two to three year window of legitimate market with those guys. And that's why going back, when I say a two to three year window, it's basically I have from year one to year three where people in your leagues covet those guys as assets. Which then goes back to how huge is it when a guy like Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins gets injured right before year two. It destroys the remaining part of that window. It destroys it. It's gone. Sure, he may come back. He may come back in year four or year five and year six and have production and be usable. But you have destroyed any sort of upward momentum of dynasty value when that injury takes place. Same with Javante Williams. Like literally, those guys are the poster child as to why once they get hurt, going into year two, if it happens then or even at the end of year one, auto sell, cash out, cash out for a first. Because back to the point, once you get past year four or once you get to year four and beyond, even if they get a second contract, running backs are year to year. You can go in and buy running backs. You're buying them for their production. It's just a bet on how long they're going to last. We're betting currently right now on Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, all of those guys, Saquon Barkley. How long are they going to last? Christian McCaffrey, James Conner. They're literally year to year. Literally, what can they do for me now? Next year, I'll reassess. If I have McCaffrey on my team, I'm not looking at 2024, 2025. Is he going to still be alive and in the league? Probably. But other than that, I'm not sitting there going, you know what? I got this position locked down for three years because I have Christian McCaffrey on my team. You're guaranteed you're viewing it and the rest of your league mates are viewing it as a year-to-year proposition. So I'm just getting ahead of the curve. I'm just going to the running back landscape and I'm saying, you know what? Everybody has a one-year shelf life except for literally two guys, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. That's it. Everybody else is on a one-year trial period. And that includes a lot of the guys that we think can start but don't have draft capital. We see that all the time. Hey, Kendra Miller, maybe he's in line to start this year. Okay, he's a third-round pick. There's no guarantees that there's just not another Kendra Miller there next year. There's not a guarantee that they don't sign one of those guys that hits free agency. So again, we get a lot of guys that aren't getting the draft capital to make you feel comfortable about more than a one-year window. And then the guys that have draft capital or have extensions, you still don't treat with more than a one-year window. So you're kind of taking the best of both worlds in terms of the running back evaluations, which makes me say, you know what? To me, on my rosters in my portfolio, 95% of running backs are year to year. They're valued year to year. Now, does that mean I'm not going to have a little bit of more comfortability next year because I'm holding this guy versus that guy? No, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about year to year projection and market value. And let's give a real quick example of that so people can articulate that. You'll say, well, man, Ramondre Stevenson's under contract for two more years. This is his third year. He'll be under his rookie contract next year for the fourth year. But what's going to happen if Ramondre goes out and he's a low-end RB1, he's pretty good, he's exactly what people expected, and then next year there's talk about, man, he's going to start making waves about his contract. Or the Patriots expect he might make waves about his contract, and they're not interested in re-signing him. So they're going to bring in somebody else to hedge their bets. They're going to draft somebody else in round three to kind of replace him or to be next to him and then see what happens after he leaves. So right there, you're going to have a period or a window where the volatility on a guy like Ramondre, I don't care how good he was last year, there's volatility which is going to affect his market value, which means you're not going to want to carry a ton of those guys on your rosters going into the offseason. Now, is it going to get better as things break his way towards the start of the 2024 season? Sure. But the point is, I don't view more than a couple players, Bijan and Jameer Gibbs, literally that's it, as I feel very secure about their market and their expected production for multiple years. That's the running back landscape for me. So I've pretty much abandoned really holding any value at running back in my leagues, unless it's one of those two guys, 
outside of my roster construction, outside of what, when I go into the warp tool and it says, hey, this is the roster construction. Here's where the dominant positions are based on warp. I have optimal roster construction, but I'm also willing to say, you know what? I can blow that up next year and reset the names. There are only two names where I go, you know what? That's going to be in that spot next year when we get to the offseason. And I think that's a stark reality for people. They sit here and go, yeah, I can value that running back for a couple years. You know, Ken Walker's got a couple years worth of security. Okay, he's going to be where he is for a couple years, but where's the security? You already saw the ding on his security this year by them drafting another second round running back. So with all of that said, back to the Jonathan Taylor situation, what do you do going forward? I think we just have to start taking more of a redraft mindset. Ray's talked about this a ton taking a redraft mindset with running back, like get ahead of the game and take advantage of people that are a little bit behind on this. Cause I think it's going to come to a head to where this is what the position is going to become. Not going to talk too much about this on this show, but just the future of the position, who the players are that are going to be playing running back, how that's going to impact football at youth levels, high school levels, college levels, all that's for a different discussion, but the future of the position, it's going this way. Teams are not willing to commit more than a year or two of really anything guaranteed to running back. So why should we view it differently unless they're on those rookie contracts? And now you're seeing guys on rookie contracts, they don't even get through their rookie contract. If they're good enough to be valued in Dynasty, there's a potential that they go out and say, you know what, I'm too good to play on this rookie contract. I want to get that extension, which they know is probably not going to happen, but we'll see what free agency in 2024 brings. But that's how I'm treating it. I'm getting ahead. I'm not looking at my leagues and going, you know what? If I have some dynasty running backs that are holding significant dynasty value, back to Jonathan Taylor, DLF's RB3, which whether you agree he's RB3, 4, 5, 6, whatever, there's more than a first round pick of value. There's more than one single starter value in that. I don't want to hold that type of value on my rosters. Hence, going back to the idea of, I said this on trades in five and I got absolutely crushed for it. I'm willing to take any first round pick for Jonathan Taylor plus any sort of one year usable running back. I threw out the name Samaj P. Ryan and I got absolutely crushed. But the exercise, and I said Samaj P. Ryan for a reason, was to be extreme. If you can tell me a player you think can produce top 30 or better, essentially placeholder running back numbers this year, and I tack a first round pick onto that, I'm already looking at Jonathan Taylor in a one-year window. I don't care where he signs. I don't care where he goes. I don't care where he plays in 2024, 2025, 2026. I'm looking at it as a one-year window once the running back gets to where he is, and it's purely process over players. And this is not an anti-player show, but I am a dynasty purist. I am all about process over players, theory, strategy, where to hold my value, Roster constructing right, but where to hold my value at all times. If you had an invisible graph of where your value is being held, that's where I want to always be looking at, am I storing too much excess value? And sometimes you can make up for the lack of quote-unquote market value or lack of name cachet or lack of guaranteed roles at the running back position with just pure volume. That's why we try to talk about being so so dogmatic about your roster construction, not wasting spots on roster cloggers, not wasting spots on too many tight ends, being very specific on how you play the quarterback market and where you allocate your resources. It allows you to maximize where you put the number of running backs on your roster. Now, this is specifically for lineup leagues. It's obviously a little bit different for best ball leagues, but in lineup leagues, which is still 90% of what people play out there in Dynasty, you would be shocked at how many teams I look at And without even knowing the settings or the scoring or the format, I just look at the team and it's a absolute disaster from a construction standpoint. And then you ask somebody, you know, why are you carrying Jalen Naylor? Oh man, he's getting some buzz in camp. You know, why are you carrying Justin Ross? I get it. He's getting some buzz in camp, but what's the plan? What's the plan for those roster spots to sit, wait two years, wait to see if in two years, Kayshawn Boutte is close to being a threshold receiver. Just sit on it and wait. Let him develop. I mean, you're just giving away money by having bad roster construction. And you're losing out because there's other people out there just playing the year-to-year running back game. And they're not even worrying about trying to develop a fifth-round receiver on the back of their bench to see what. And that's the funny thing. If you drafted Kayshawn Boutte and you're holding him in a lineup league, the worst part about it is even if he pops, even if he's somebody that looks like he could be pretty good, you won't cash out for the third. You won't cash out for the two-thirds. You'll demand a first. 
You'll wait for a second when the price is two-thirds, and you'll miss out on the window to free up that roster spot, add a running back, and get two free thirds for him. I mean, it's literally just a process that I just see absolute disaster written all over it on so many rosters in lineup leagues. So that's where this theory stems from. It's not wanting at any time, year to year, to hold a lot of equity in running backs on my roster. And it literally goes for everybody other than Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. And you know what? In two years, guess where they're going to be? In the same situation as Najee Harris. In the same situation as Travis Etienne. Fair or not. They're going to age. They're going to get older. They're going to get replaced with new guys. They get drafted in similar ranges. And I'm not going to talk about this too much, but if you really look at some of this data that I'm talking about, I'm not the only one out there that kind of looks at the Lions and the Falcons taking the running back where they did relative to the market that's happening right now, relative to what teams are willing to spend in free agency, and also relative to the free agents that are going to be out there next year. Maybe it isn't that bad of an idea. Given what teams can control a guy like Bijan for through seven years. Now, is Bijan going to get upset if he gets franchise tagged twice? Yes. But if you really look at that, like the Falcons control him probably for less than $43 million for seven seasons, which is what? Right in line with the AAV number of, you guessed it, the current going rate in free agency. So it really just comes down to the risk of paying a guy on a second contract versus getting that same amount of production and probably far better production what's ever going to hit free agency for the full amount of his rookie contract. So you're getting the prime years. You're essentially paying him for what he's going to do versus trying to pay him for what you think he could do. So it's very interesting when you think about it. I'm not saying you should draft a running back in the first round. I get it. Opportunity cost, etc. But a lot of times the arguments about opportunity cost and positional scarcity stems from what they get paid when they hit free agency, right? Like the reason you would draft a tackle over a running back is because, well, you can't get a tackle in free agency. And if there's one in free agency and you don't have one, you have to overpay by a ton just to probably get an average one. But if you don't have any holes, and it's interesting because the Lions and the Falcons currently probably have two of the top four offensive lines in the league. So that's one position right there where they go, you know what? We're not going to have to worry about that. So we can pass. And it's almost like a luxury pick, but not a luxury pick from a standpoint of they already have a dominant team. It's a luxury pick as to where they're allocating their cap money. So something to watch going forward. Does the new trend become the, hey, let's draft a first round running back? Because we know we're going to have to pay him a little early. But first round running backs drafted that high usually are pretty good bets to be good. In fact, almost all of them end up with a top 12 season during their rookie year. The second thing is, you know, you're basically trading that in for having an extra year due to the fifth year option. And then with the lowering number with the franchise tag and the transition tag, which is essentially the fifth year option, you're now seeing that number of what it costs to apply the tag go even lower. So the price of drafting a running back actually is getting cheaper because the long projected cost is getting lower and lower and lower by the year as the running back market is being suppressed on the high end. You know, what was driving that franchise tag number high? All those extensions from 2020. What are coming off the books or are going to be largely gone, if not entirely gone by the time Bijan hits free agency or until his fifth year option and franchise tags kicks in? Guess what? All those extensions. So that number could be down to seven, eight, nine million. And relative to a cap that's supposed to go over 300 million by 2025, you're talking about a bargain. It's the same reason like the Patrick Mahomes contract at the time was massive. Three years later, it's an incredible deal. Don't be shocked if in three years you're looking at Bijan Robinson's contract, cost controlled for up to seven years is a monster deal relative to the salary cap. So think about that. Think about how that's going to change your strategy. Again, I'm looking at all running backs as one-year bets other than those guys that literally have NFL insulation for multiple years without any sort of gripe or any sort of complaint of wanting a new deal. So with that, a long-winded subject, I want to get ideas on what you think you should be doing with Jonathan Taylor, Uh, what this means you may do with Ramondre Stevenson, what this may mean after this year with Brees Hall, because I think there's ways you can play this and you can be creative. And the last thing I mentioned in that very first video, or right at the beginning of the show, I did the video on Jonathan Taylor, and I actually looked at Jonathan Taylor's warp based on his usage especially if you buy the narrative that Anthony Richardson's probably not going to throw to running backs a lot or the pass volume's not going to be high. Jonathan Taylor's good. He's not a warp difference maker. If you take his warp from just using his points per game for his entire career and you bump that up 10% 
because of his rookie year where he was a little bit in and out. If you take the peak production of Jonathan Taylor, so basically back half of his rookie year until when his season ended last year, you're talking about a guy that's still not even a top three running back in warp. So why are we treating him with all this other stuff going? Why are we treating him like he's a top three running back in Dynasty? So just think about that. And especially when you plug in your league into the warp calculator and you see the quarterback warp and the wide receiver warp being way higher at this range, you'd have to spend on a guy like Jonathan Taylor or a guy like Brees Hall. You go, why am I dealing with this? Why am I holding this type of value on my roster? So you have to be strategic when you do that. You probably don't want to be overloaded with multiple guys like that. If you want to pick one and just ride them out, like I want to have Brees Hall as my hero RB, and I'll just accept that it's probably an overall value loss relative to warp, then fine. But just acknowledge that you're doing it. Give me feedback. Give me pushback on this theory. But it's something that when I say this to the masses, all running backs are all one-year bets. It's just I get absolutely crushed and people just don't understand where I'm coming from. Whether I'm right or wrong, I just don't think they articulate the reasoning behind it. So hopefully this show helped illustrate that. I'm going to push back uh, some of the changes that I talked about, how to kind of reformulate some of my teams before the season. I went a little long on this, so I'm going to make next week's episode talking about that. Ways I went through, used Warp, used the Roster Construction Series to just get savvy in terms of how do I get back to roster construction? How do I get back to optimal before we get to the season and doing it in creative ways? Because it's a very interesting trade market out there with training camp hype, with preseason hype coming. You know, a lot of people are fickle. They don't want to spend anything. Uh, But there's also, I think, ranges you can take advantage of some of that hype. And I'm really trying to use it to refine my roster construction and set my teams up to start the season so they're really ready to go and make it pretty easy to set the lineups from week to week. So with that said, I will go ahead and sign off. Again, patreon.com slash allgas. Check out the Mind Warp series. I didn't even mention Mind Warp, but Mind Warp dropped on August 1st. It is absolutely crushed thus far. Tons of great feedback, tons of great comments. There's multiple options. You can buy the audio-only version. You can buy the audio-video version. And then you can also buy the audio-video version with a free year of the Warp tool. Check out mindwarped.com if you're interested in that. It will change the way that you are playing Dynasty. It will change the way that you evaluate your leagues. Uh, And if you have any feedback or any issues, hit me up and let me know. And for those that will be at the Fantasy Football Expo, see everybody there. Reach out to me. Hit me up. I'll be there from Friday to Sunday. Would love to chat. Love to meet new people in the space. Uh, So let me know if you're going to be there and what you're going to be up to, and we'll try to connect. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. There's a rumor going around about me and you. 